Welcome to Bookish with Amos, the podcast that is all about getting your book needs met. What goes around comes around unless it runs out of fuel or changes its mind. I've gone round, but I'm glad I didn't change my mind. It feels really good to be back on Bookish with Amos, your one-stop shop for all the book nutrients that your mind needs. And today we are honored to have with us the famous Amos Austin, of course. Thank <laughs> you. Well, our guest is an award-winning Nigerian writer and poet. He was born in Akure, the capital city of Undo State, Nigeria. He studied architecture and design at the Federal University of Technology, Akure, Nigeria, and then at the University of Greenwich, London. His witty, simple yet relatable and sometimes poignant approach has inspired self-confessed new writers and earned his writings a loyal following, especially on social media. He has written four books with very interesting titles, all dubbed Poetry for People Who Hate Poetry. He currently lives in London, United Kingdom. It gives me great pleasure and delight to welcome Tolua Kinyemi on Bookish with Amos. Thank you for joining us, Poet Tulu. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you know, I first came across your work on Instagram. Everyone knows how crazy I am about words. Generally, poetry is just the evidence. I've always believed that poetry doesn't have to be complicated, that it can be simple, relatable, and enjoyable too. And so in reading your work, I saw the same convictions communicated clearly. And I would like to especially thank you for redefining written poetry. Thank you. (laughs) You know, yesterday I posted one of your poems on my status and someone was telling me how they read it to their mom. And when she finally got it, oh, wow, that's really good. And it brought laughter to her family and served as a gist subject for her and her mom because then... My mom started sharing about how women ought to take care of themselves and, you know, all of that. It's just great work. What play was that? Reunion. Ah, yeah, that one. (laughs) Yeah, that was a really good one. So can you tell us how and when you started writing? Hmm. Uh, Well, before then, again, thank you for that. A wonderful and exciting introduction and it's really good to get feedback from real people and so the little story you just said has made my day um, oh. you know thank you thank you for that and you're welcome <laughs> so yeah how did i start writing uh, i always tell people that every writer is first a reader so i think mm. my writing journey actually started from my love for reading, you know, when I was a kid, I was a very, very voracious reader. And I think the way it happens is if you read a lot, it gets to a point you also want to start trying out your hands on writing, if that makes sense. So, but I think what ties both together is I just have this love for words generally. And specifically talking about poetry, and I, I think that started on Facebook. Yeah, I think that was when I started seriously writing poetry, 2009, thereabouts, on, on Facebook. I had a group of like minded people, I would call them, 
that we would write and post Facebook and critique our work and in bits I, I think that was also when I defined my style of writing because I'll be honest with you you know one of the things you said at the beginning of this uh, conversation was that poetry does not have to be hard and difficult and you know boring I would say uh, but yeah. then I, I used to write a kind of poetry like I felt like the adages for people to understand what I'm saying yeah, then the more profound <laughs> Okay. Um, I would write in such a way that you would need to grab a dictionary and, oh. and keep it side by side and uh, it, it was painful there because I would write, I would spend a lot of time writing and then I would post on Facebook and people would interact with the poetry in a way that suggests that they do not understand what you read. <laughs> You know, they might leave a comment like, oh, nice one, well done. And I would be expecting more. Like, I want them to give something yeah. more uh, meaningful about what they've read. But then I realized that the problem was for me. So if I'm writing in such a way that people cannot connect, then... So poetry is like a language, the way I see it, right? It's like a language, just like um, we're speaking English now. And if I'm speaking and the audience can't understand what i'm saying then there's a problem so Whoa. i think it was around that time that i began to define my writing and there were three key things that i decided was going to be in my writing my writing has to become simple you know simple. very very simple that was the first thing and the second thing was that it had to be relatable so i want people to read what i have written and be able to see themselves in it like oh i know someone that has happened to oh that that's happened to me before you know i want it to be relatable and then the last thing has been humor humor is a universal language that everybody can relate to and I've, mm -hmm. i found out that when i find a way to infuse some kind of humor in my writing even when i'm speaking about the most sensitive or difficult subjects it helps people to relates to it more so yeah simple relatable humorous yeah well on behalf of book readers all over the world may i tell you vision accomplished because everything you've just said simplicity relatability humor can be found in your work there's no need for any deep search anyone who interacts with your work can immediately understand because it's that simple and they can relate as well. It's not vague. It's not some out of this world experience. Humor. You know, I was reading your book in the car at one point and, and my friend was just looking at me. Why are you laughing so much? I'm like, <laughs> you need to read this to understand. You know, so yes, you've got all three. What is your long-term goal with your writing? What do you hope? to accomplish what would success look like mm. Mm. good question mm. what would success look like for me because when i started writing i, I didn't really i just started writing because i loved writing and i enjoyed it and honestly i've i've um, enjoyed a lot of benefits from writing so i've, I've not sold copies and i've not earned a life-changing money from um, writing books 
But I have, I have met wonderful people. I've had opportunities open up to me solely mm. because I, of the books I have written. These were not things I planned or anticipated along the way. These were just things that I noticed came with me doing what I love doing. That's why I tell people, because I've met people write and they want to publish a book and they are thinking, oh, I'm going to publish this book and then I'm going to sell, make, you know, they want to make a, a lot of money out of the page. And I'm like, the easiest part of writing a book is writing a book. <laughs> mm. You know, yeah, that's, and that easy part is not even easy. Yes, that's the easiest part. Um, but when it comes to marketing it and actually getting your books into the hands of readers, that's the, the, that's a tough part. Um, so I wasn't really expecting, you know, those kind of huge benefits, but there have been other ways in which I've been blessed from doing what I love doing. Back to the question you, you asked, uh, which is, what would success look like? For me, right? And this is me being completely honest. Nothing that gives me more joy than seeing people who don't know me, you know, put their hands into their pockets, buy one of my books, read it, enjoy it enough to come back and give me feedback and say, oh, I, I don't even like poetry, but I like your poetry. Or people coming across my work and recommending it to other people so, so I did a few book events in Nigeria in the past two months for my new book and one of the re recurring themes uh, you know everywhere I went and the people I met kept meeting people telling me oh somebody my sister introduced me to your work my brother introduced me to your work or oh, it was my colleague at work and there's nothing else that gives me greater joy because i'm like these people don't know me they they're not saying something nice to me because they are my friends right sure. or because they're family so they're trying to encourage me there they don't have to be nice for them to be genuinely excited and yeah so i've had lots of people saying oh i i used to write i i write the way you write by me coming across your writing validated my style of writing because i used to mm. think this is not, yeah, but I've seen somebody doing what I'm doing and doing it successfully gives them, an, it's an encouragement to them and validates what they are doing and that gives me great joy and for me, I think that's what success looks like, realistically, that's, that, that gives me joy. I totally feel that sincerely because i know how it is that when people recommend your work especially when they are not your friends like you said it just yeah. shows that you are actually doing something right just take for instance the person that came to my office today just to talk to me about the status i uploaded mm -hmm. she is naturally not a poetry person like she doesn't even mm -hmm. like books but mm -hmm. the fact that she could read that and then the laughter i could see it in her eyes that she she really <laughs> enjoyed it and then she was acting out the poem for me and I was laughing, not just at what she was saying, but at the reality of it that, okay, poetry can actually be something that brings people together, regardless of their usual likes or dislikes. So, yes. So how do you come about the titles for your books? Something like your father walks like a crab. Funny men cannot be trusted. They don't look like regular titles that anyone yeah. would find on a bookshelf. 
Yeah. How do you come about your titles? The titles are intentional, and you're right, they are very unconventional, and, and that's deliberate. And the reason for that is because we said that it's true that, generally speaking, creative people are bad business people, right? And so for me, I'm writing a book, I'm looking beyond just writing the book, I'm also thinking about the life of the book after it's been written. So there's nothing profound in those titles besides me just choosing titles that I think are unconventional and would grab someone's attention. So I'm thinking I want to write a book that has a title that if it's sitting on a shelf in a bookstore and someone is browsing through, my book would be the one to catch their attention because it stands out. The title is unusual. So... Um, you know what I always say, uh, don't judge a book by its cover. Well, that's what we do every day. People judge books, both literally and otherwise. We judge, judge books, we judge people, we judge everything based on their presentation. So, um, yeah, on the appearance. So, it's a marketing strategy. Yeah, strategy. You know, to get someone to pick that book because you, you're in a library or you're in a bookstore, you have thousands of books framing grab me buy me so you want yours to be the one that gets the attention of the, of the buyer and it's not just the yes. title so even the colors all my book designs feature bright colors you know that would stand out on the bookshelf even the the, the size of the book so most of my books are designed to a trim size of 4.25 inches by 7 inches the thinking behind that is that I want a book that will fit inside someone's handbag or back pocket. So I, I want to I want to write a book that people read and can take out of the house. You know, so let's say you're going for a doctor's appointment and you want to grab a book to read while waiting. You're not going to grab a bulky book that is on your shelf. You know, sure. you're going to grab one that is compact Impact. enough to put in your pocket or in your handbag. So it's all for marketing reasons, uh, the titles. Just something that would grab the attention of the reader. Well, I didn't buy them because of the titles or the design. I bought, I bought them because I've already interacted with your work. I knew that whatever will be inside that book is going to be interesting and fun. So I didn't even care about <laughs> the cover the or space. anything like that. So I think I bought it for your name. Should I say yeah. your reputation? Yeah, yeah, that's the word. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense because you were already exposed to my writing. But for someone who has never come across my writing, they would have to make a decision based on some of the things I've mentioned. Someone could write the most beautiful book in the world, but if it has a terrible cover or a terrible title, it might not even get a chance to be picked up by people that would read it. Yeah, you're right, but I think it works more for someone who has not been exposed to my work previously. people who hate poetry 
Yeah. Every single one of your book has already stated that very clearly most people find poetry boring. And I've also observed personally that poetry hardly shows up on people's favorite genre for the same reason. And also the fact that some of those people are brilliant in their own right. And then for them to be faced with a poetic piece and they can't make sense of it. It's just too humbling to deal with. So they claim poetry is not their cup of tea. Yeah. Is this going to be your other name for every of your work? Poetry for people who hate poetry. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the style of poetry I love writing. Maybe I might dabble into... I, I just love the clarity, you know, and it works. People Thank people you. love it. People receive it. So I don't see myself changing anything. So one of my events recently, there was someone who asked a question. And I thought it was a very good question. But I wish I had answered that question better. Um, I thought about it later and I, and, I, and I decided my answer to that question was not the most. I mean, I answered it as best as I could. Thank you. Uh, so the person asked if, so they said, yeah, they were exposed to my writing and they enjoyed it with simplicity and all that. But now they feel like it's time for them to graduate. They, they didn't use that word, but I'm using that word, you know, to something more more complicated. So I'll tell you what my answer was then, and I'll tell you what I think my answer should have been. So, um, so they wanted to know if they'll, um, I would consider writing. Now I'm doing air quotes now, you know, complicated poetry. Uh, Thank you. In the future, this is what I would always write. And I said, I don't think I would um, change my style of writing. Um, and I think it's okay for people to graduate, in quotes, from my writing, you know, and move on to something that they feel is um, more advanced, <laughs> you know, so to speak. Um, so that was the answer I gave, gave them. And I honestly meant that. But... I went back home and I thought about that question and I, I thought I should have asked that. So when you say my poetry is simple and you're thinking of moving on to um, something more advanced. So when you say simple, is it in terms of the subjects I write about? Mm. Right? Or it's it in terms of my delivery, you know, or you know, the the way I write. I, I thought about it. Okay, if it's about the subjects I write about, I think I I actually write about varied topics. Like I I doubt there's nothing I I haven't covered when it comes to human experiences and yeah, human experiences. So I, I write about complicated topics, but I find a way to simplify it and make it digestible. So. Sure that shouldn't be a problem and if it's about me writing simply i still don't see why simplicity should be punished because like i said earlier it's about communication you know i'm sure you know the story the the emperor's clothes yeah you know that story? yeah you know when he was naked yeah when the king was the emperor was naked <laughs> some fraudsters came and promised to make a robe for the king that could only be seen by wise people and uh, took a lot of money from the king made the robe 
made the king wear it, and really there was nothing. The king was naked. The king couldn't see it, but he didn't want to come across as stupid, so he pretended to see it, and everybody pretended to see it, even though they couldn't see it. And I think that's the issue with poetry sometimes, even for people who enjoy other forms of reading. Like nobody wants to have anything to do with anything that makes them look stupid, and that's why I think. Some people avoid poetry because you don't want to read something and then you feel like, oh, this is what this person is saying, and then someone comes and says, no, that's, not, that's not what it's saying. This is you've lost the plot, you know. Of, of all the pieces you've written, yeah. which one is your favorite? Ah, <laughs> I don't think I have a favorite. I mean, I'm sure there are some that I really love, and let me think. Uh, honestly there are so many <laughs> because many of them made the books because i i was pleased with them so okay. i have so many poems i've written that <laughs> that are not collected in any of my books um, i can't really you know point to one and say oh this is my favorite this is the one uh, oh, it's one is coming to mind now i don't know for any reason the cookie jar in which um, of the books um, I had the spider's nest. It's on page 61. Do you want me to read it? Please go ahead. Okay. The cookie jar. It's a jar of your favorite cookies. You reach in, pull one out, and make it delight your mouth. Then reach in, pull another out, and make it delight your mouth. So you dip in to pull one out, and it's empty. The jar is empty. You ate the last piece without knowing, and it's a terrible feeling, a knot in the chest, like a kick in the groin. If you had a warning, you would have nibbled the last piece tenderly, with the solemn knowing of a final goodbye. But you had no warning. Here's a warning. Call him, call your father, or whoever you should. Now. Um, I... so, <laughs> can you hear me snapping my fingers yeah i can uh, that's what we do when we enjoy a piece we snap our yeah. fingers nice nice you know yeah. i think there are several explanations to this at first when you started reading i'm thinking of me eating cheese balls yeah there's something here that's called cheese balls yeah yeah so you keep dipping your hand in and then you're just enjoying it and maybe walking yeah. on one hand you're just eating you're yeah. not looking inside the bag until the bag is empty and like oh that was the last one <laughs> yeah all right so that that was the first thought i had until you yeah. gave that warning that's yeah. like a reminder for you to do yeah. what you have to do and not yeah. postpone and push it that was yeah. a beautiful one, and I love it. Thank you. You know, and you're right. It's more about something more important. Because it's like family and friends, people we love, right? And mm. we don't always check on them or call them because, you know, we, we think they always... We always have them. Families, we always have them, but that's not true. And people are friends, our parents, and our, you know, family members, and everybody lives long, but... Death doesn't come with a warning, you know. Mm. <laughs> uh, everybody who has lost someone remembers the last time they spoke to that person. True. And they know they would have held that conversation more dearly 
if they knew that was the last. And you've not asked me this, but this is how I get the inspiration for a lot of the things I write. I'm, I'm a very observant person. And what actually happened was literally what you described, right? I was, yeah. I was eating a little packet of my favorite cookies. And I was working when I was dipping in and picking one out. And then I dipped in and I realized that <laughs> I had finished it. And I was like, that's, that's, I didn't realize I had the last one. And then, you know, I thought about the fact that it's similar to how we never know when the last time would be that you would speak to somebody. And if you knew, you would speak to them differently. So, yeah, for some reasons, that always comes to mind. So, maybe, I, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but that just always comes to my mind because it's a sad poem. Um we mm. had so deep. If if you're listening out there right now, cherish every moment that you have and if there's someone that's been on your mind, please don't even postpone it. Just call yeah. them already. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I love it. I'm glad you read that. <laughs> your work exemplifies that there are stories all around us. Yeah. And that the tellers of these stories need only to pay attention. And you yeah. seem to have been paying really close attention to some of these things, especially as relating to human relationships, the uniqueness and the yeah. sameness of our humanity. This thing of paying close attention has always been rewarded with an insight that is real and fresh. I have this question based on some of the things you've written about, the one about changes. We're going to be using the words from one of your poems to ask the question. So how is it that someone whose sight made your heart skip and your cheeks flush <laughs> later makes your lip kiss and your gall rush? I think I remember that one. How does That's that That's the question. Yes. Yeah. Like today, you people are all jolly and everything and yeah. the next. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just life. People fall apart, you know, things change. You see married couples going through a very, very bitter divorce. Uh, bigger their wedding pictures or even pictures from before their wedding. And you ask yourself, how do two people go from this to this? It's almost like you're looking at two different sets of people, but it's still the same couple. But now there's, there's a wide gap between them. So... I think it's just a part of life. Uh, people grow apart, especially if they don't watch creeps in. People don't grow apart in bounds. It happens in bits, right? That's one thing. And then another thing is, you know, when you're meeting someone, I wrote a poem about that. When you're meeting someone, in any situation, we always try to put our best foot forward. Right? Mm. So... <laughs> So sometimes when you're meeting someone or you're making a decision about someone, especially someone that you might plan to commit to and spend the rest of your life with, it might be a good idea to check the, the foot they are putting forward and the one they are hiding. <laughs> you know, and see, all right, this other foot that is behind, is it something I can deal with? Uh, so I think sometimes people get carried away with you know, talking about judging the book by its cover, right? Yeah, yeah. if you judge a book, I mean, we all judge a book by its cover, 
if the cover attracts you, then you should still open the book and flip through the pages and see if there's a consistency with what's on the cover and what's inside. So, yeah, people go apart. I think it's a part of life, especially if they don't work on. I mean, obviously, that point is about relationships. I don't know. Someone yeah. might come tomorrow and have another meaning to it because that happens a lot. I write a poem or something and then somebody comes and says, oh, this poem, somebody came to me and I was like, that poem you wrote about domestic violence. And I was like, oh, what poem? The poem, I was like, hmm, that makes sense. I wasn't thinking about domestic violence. Oh, yeah. This mm. actually, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, well, unless someone sees some other meaning to it, um, I think it's about relationships and how sometimes people just do our part. Well, yeah. It's sad, but it's life. Yes, actually. your magic number what does that mean <laughs> okay so in reading your work i see one particular number sure okay. a number of times Fifty-three thousand one hundred and five. Ah, okay <laughs> so it's 53,105 moons 53,105 parts 53,105 okay what is it with this number yeah well nice nice one <laughs> nice one that you noticed <laughs> Okay, so sometimes I I leave like a like an Easter egg in my book, right? It's just like a personal joke, or sometimes it's something someone else can stumble across and it makes meaning to them. I, I probably you. wouldn't tell you what that means, but I know somebody once figured it out and sent me a message. I was like, I know what this means, <laughs> and I was okay. like, All right, tell me, and um, yeah, they told me and they were right. And I was like, oh, okay. I wonder how long it took you to figure that out. But yeah, sometimes I just hide personal jokes in, in Okay, so I'm never joke. going to get to know what that means. You might. I mean, I, I just told you someone figured it out. But it's up to you if you want to take <laughs> on the task. <laughs> okay, but, it's fine. So in one of my books, I have one of my favorite Bible verses. Hidden okay. somewhere in the book. And it's, it's there, but it's not there. It's like there, written out, like the full scripture it's not like it's a part of the poem it's just standing by itself but wow. it's hidden so uh so yeah sometimes i do things like that oh okay okay <laughs> I, I thought maybe there was like a a code to it and i'm right partially even though i don't know what it means yeah. yet yes but you're then... right <laughs> The men will be grateful for this one, but the ladies, I wonder what they will say to the person who right. revealed the secret about peplums, peplum top on dresses. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw that, I'm like, why why on earth would you share a secret like that? <laughs> why are you so sure a lady shared the secret? Because you said so. Now, listen to the footnote. You said this poem was inspired by an interesting ah. discovery. Yeah. has willingly divulged by a okay. friend she told okay. me okay <laughs> <laughs> so this, this is why they say be careful 
what you see around writers. I, I'm sure whoever told me had it, it must have been something that was said casually, said with intention or with an expectation that it would show up in a book. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's part of being observant. You know, like I said, there are stories around us, or well, I might not have said that today, but I say it a lot that we are having our own stories of wrapping themselves around us daily. So, all we need to do is just be a little bit more observant. Some people find this contentious. I always say I, I don't believe in writer's block, you know. Personally, I don't. Uh, because I think a lot of what people call writer's block is just laziness. That's what I believe. Because nothing good comes easy. Writing is just like any other profession, right? Imagine going to your doctor and your doctor saying, you know, I can't see you today. I'm having doctor's block. Or your lawyer saying that. Or your tailor saying that you've not made you have you made my clothes no i've been having a creative block nobody cares you know if that's your job you have to find a way to do and see i have this analogy that i use to prove to people that you're just not motivated that's all i say if elon musk comes around and tells you to write let's use poetry for example 10 poems this month, and for every poem you write this month, he would pay you a million pounds. I'm interested in seeing how many people would not write a single poem and say, I couldn't earn 10 million pounds because I had writer's block. You know, one way or the other, you would find the motivation to write those poems and make that money. You know, so like I said, stories are. Yeah, lots of stories happen around us. And sometimes you just have to... I have a notebook, I have an app where I put my writing prompts. So I'm working with it and I see something interesting and I'm like, oh, I like to write about that. I just pull out my phone and quickly describe what I have seen, right? So that when I need to write about it, I would remember exactly what was happening when I wrote that. So I have some unwritten poems that are still in that kind of form. I have a lot of those and the fact that I've not written them is that's just me being lazy. I have those things waiting to be written and so sometimes I just go in there, pick one and write about it and I might not finish it, abandon it, pick another one but I, I think it's just a lack of motivation. Well, what you've done with that particular secret, you engraved it for ah. the whole of eternity. <laughs> that's what you've just done with that. But but then there's also a flip side to this. It's saying that you should look. Things are not always as they appear. What you said that. Like, yes, yeah, things are yeah. not always as they appear. So yeah, beyond yeah. the aesthetics yeah. and everything it looks like, yeah. you should look deeper. Yeah, you're right. I think that was just the that was just the humorous part of that poem. I think what that mm. poem really was about is looking deeper. You know, like things don't always. You know, yeah, we judge a book by its cover, but. Things are not always what they seem to be on the surface. Reading your work, I saw a lot of scriptures. Yeah. Fresh. How does your faith influence or intersect with your work as a poet? Uh... Hey, how does it 
I, I don't think it goes beyond sometimes providing um, inspiration for some of the things I've written. So I don't think it's control what I write about, right? When I was writing my first book, there were poems I was reluctant to include in the book because I was thinking of the people that were going to read the book. And these were like some of the more like how would I describe this kind of poems? Graphic? Um, not necessarily graphic, but not graphic. You know, okay, let's do, let's do graphic. Yeah, just for the sake of argument, right? Graphic. And so I would hesitate to include those poems because I'm like, oh, my, you know, my pastor, my sibling, my church members would, you know, what, what are they going to think? But eventually I stopped caring about those things because as a writer, the things you're, you're worried to write about are actually the things you should write about. Um, mm. So if in the process of me writing about something, I feel a strong need to write about there is something graphic in that process. I'm not going to discard it because of that. That's just, it's part of what I need to do, you know, to pass that message across. So I'm not going to water it down or I'm not going to go out of my way to be obscene for no reason, right? But at the same time, if I need to write something that includes something graphic, as part of what I'm doing, I would do it. I, I don't care, you know, it's what I have to do. In that way, my faith doesn't control what I write, but the way it influences what I write is that there are so many things I've written about that are like literally inspired by, say, Bible stories. So I have a poem about, I can't remember the title of that poem, but it was inspired by the story of David. <laughs> so I was writing about how David, it was a cheeky one, how David, there's a verse in the Bible that where David says, I'm glad, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and the poem was about the fact that, yeah, David said that, but we don't know why David said that. It seems like it's because he enjoys going to church, but it could also be because there's a pretty lady in church that he enjoys seeing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, that's, <laughs> and that's his motivation. I mean, so the thing is, I write about life, right? And mm. that happens. That happens. Like, it's, it's, it's not bad. It's not good. It's just life. It happens. It, it's... A man could be inspired, so that might not be the only reason he goes to church. Oh, but a man could look forward to going to church because there's someone that is is interested in in church and he looks forward to seeing that person every Sunday. Same goes for a woman could go to church for the same reason. So these are things that happen, right? Even though it sounds funny, but I don't care if it happens. I'm going to write about it. Those are the kind of ways. My faith experiences influences my writing. There's another poem about, I didn't even know if this was inspired by something that really happened. But there was another poem about a brother in church that walked the camera, but he got carried away and left the camera to linger on the particular girl in the choir that he was interested in. Um, <laughs> he forgot he was meant to, you know. 
these are things that <laughs> could happen. It's you know we like to pretend like so you're in church, right? And let's say in a year, four or five couples in one church or got married. We like to pretend like there was no interact, there was no process between. Was it like they just bang, just <laughs> you know decided they were going to get? It's it's a journey, you know. All these things I'm writing about are things that could have happened. So he came to church mm. for the first time. He noticed this pretty girl. Maybe he didn't plan to keep coming to that church. Maybe he just moved into town and he was still attending a few churches looking for where to settle. And he noticed someone and now. Interested in this person, and he keeps coming to that church, and you know, things happen. It's not, it's a process. It's you know, they didn't just bump into each other and say, "Yeah, we're getting married." <laughs> so, and, and I think that's why people like my writing because it's relatable. I write mm-hmm. about things that they see happening around them, and if it's not just, if it has not happened to them, it's something that they've seen happen to other people. What advice would you give to young aspiring writers? This is a very simple, easy question to answer. Um, you know, I said this earlier, I said every writer is first a reader. As a writer, or anybody who intends to be a writer, you need to read as widely as possible. Get influences from as many sources as you can. Because that's what forms your, that's what creates your writing foundation. And so read as widely as you can and write like you are a writer because you write does that make sense like it does that's how that's how you improve your craft so you don't write how would you i see this on social media a lot you find someone who puts writer on their bio and you can't even find a single piece of anything they've written they don't have a blog they don't have posts on nothing else about them suggests that they write apart from the fact that they have that tag on their description calling themselves a writer. So you're a writer because you write. You write and write and write. And don't be afraid to share your writing. That's how people get better. If you write and keep it to yourself, yeah, share. Don't don't be afraid. People ask me, oh, you're always posting. Aren't you afraid people would steal your writing? I mean, it happens, you know. I found my writings on websites and I'll start reading and I'll go like, oh, this looks familiar. And I'm like, this is actually me. <laughs> this is actually my writing. And then I'll see it oh. attributed to somebody else. Um, oh. But yeah, so, I mean, that's 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 not nice, but you can't completely avoid that. That's plagiarism, it's wrong. But I'll rather. I'd rather more people see my writing, even if it is not attributed to me, than fewer people see it or nobody sees it at all. Um, and then you get feedback, right? You get there are so many poems I've written and posted on Instagram, for example. From the comments people make, I find ways to improve the poem. And by the time I put a poem in a book, it's a better version than the one that I first posted publicly. Don't be afraid to share your work. Don't be afraid to ask for feedback. Finally, I would say it's easier to get your books, get your writing read by more people now than it was, say, 10 years ago. Because now 
yes, people can self-publish their books. That's a story for another day. You know, it's. I mean, I have a lot to say about that, but we can't say that now. Um, but there's self-publishing. There's um, you can have blogs. You can, yeah, so many platforms where you can get your digital platform where you can get your books or your writings out there. Um, so practice your craft. Don't don't be a closest writer. You know, and I'm, I'm so you asked me earlier and you said, What's what does success look like for me? And that's part of what success looks like for me because I get a lot of those people who say, Oh, I used to write and then I stopped writing. Um, but your writing has inspired me to pick up my pen again, or your writing has inspired me to feel confident to share my work with people or publicly. So, yeah, that's it, you know, read. Why lead right? Right. That's what makes you a writer. Share your work. Get feedback. That's how you improve. So read, write, share. Yeah. That that should be retweeted. Like tweet, tweet. Yeah. Read, write, share. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. I don't think my audience would forgive me if they realized that they had the opportunity to hear you tell them about publishing. And I okay. did not take. Okay. Please do share. Okay. Oh, all right. Self-publishing. Um, and what I meant then was self-publishing has a stigma attached to it, you know. And it's the stigma is justified because lots of self-published books are terrible. And I'm suggesting self-publishing because let's be honest, not everybody is going to get a publishing deal. Not everybody's going to get a traditional publishing house offered on the deal, right? It doesn't mean because you've not gotten you're not getting a publishing deal, you don't share your stories with the world, you don't share your work. Does it mean that work dies forever? You know? And as that, there are lots of people who have gotten publishing deals based on books they self-published. You know, so I always encourage people to explore the self-publishing route. And here's where the caveat is. So like I said, self-publishing has a stigma attached to it. Because most times self-publishing books are terrible in terms of quality. So if you're a writer intending to explore the self-publishing route, you need to make sure that you do, do your due diligence. Right. So one of the mistakes writers who are self-publishing is they don't go through all the rigorous processes. They don't go through nearly as much processes, the rigorous processes that traditional publishers would go through. So they want to do everything by themselves. And that's where the problem is. You can't be writing a book and want to be to do the cover design by yourself. Edit the book by yourself and proofread the book proofread. by yourself. In fact, that's the, that's the terrible part. You can't proofread your own book. Even even if you are the best writer in the world, even if you are, ooh, I don't know, Wallace Winter or Chimamanda Adichie, those are famous Nigerian writers. None of those people, I can bet anything on it. None of them edit their own work. It's impossible. Can't you can't edit your own work? You don't can't proofread your own work. So, um, and that's where self-published writers make mistakes. They, they feel like they can do all those things themselves and then what happens is we end up with a mediocre outcome someone told me about this person and then i saw it someone told me about this person who wrote a book and you know they made a post bragging 
out the road book in four weeks or so. I can't remember. Wow. Some very short period of time. And to them, it sounded like that was something to brag about. But me, as a publisher, I knew, okay, that's a red flag. You can't write and edit and, you know, you can't finish the process of getting a book ready in that period of time. Writing a book and preparing a book for publishing and publishing a book is very, very time-consuming. It's a very labor-intensive work and you can't skip that process. You can't take shortcuts. So if you're going to self-publish your book, get a proper designer to design a book cover. Don't, don't design something in Microsoft Word or do, do it properly. Pay somebody, pay somebody to design the cover. Pay somebody to proofread and to edit. Go through all those processes. Study, do research into publishing and things you have to do. Do, do your due diligence and put that into your work. And you know why you have to do that? Because books will go to places that you will never ever get in life. Your books will fall into the hands of people you will never meet. And that will be that book will be representing you. So you have to do your best to make that make sure that book is perfect as it can be. The way I look at it, I look at the Bible and I'm like, if some group of people can compile the Bible and edit it, the Bible is one of the biggest books around, right? You can edit it and I mean you don't have typos in it, you don't have errors that can be avoided, things like that, then who are you to be writing a book that is 100 pages, 200 pages or so and you can't do a good job? Now, it's not like it's... Even even for established writers, it happens, right? It happens, you might find one or two, you know, typos or it happens. that It's not like there are people who put out books there and it's perfect. There will be things, some, sometimes things slip through the crack, but... It, it the one or two things. But the moment you're reading through a book that the typos or the mistakes are are so many that they become a distraction. Now it wouldn't matter what the quality of the writing is anymore. That would become a distraction and that would put people off. Put your readers off the book. I recommend that people self publish but make sure you go through the process. Don't don't do things yourself. The part you can do is write. That's your part as a writer. Every other thing, pay somebody to do it for you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. We've come to the end of this episode. Mm. And Portillo, I would like to close with one of your poems, if that's okay. All right. The one titled Daily Poetry. Okay. All right. One day, the world will stand at bay, as you two say I do. Yeah. And then on every day, I will write you a poem. Yeah. And if you think daily poetry will make you weary, remember, a pen is not the only thing that writes a poem. And poems aren't always made from alphabets. I know that, that sounds like a, a love poem that you would write for the one. If you're a writer or a poet out there who only writes for you, and you're afraid to share your work with the world. I hope this entire episode encourages you to keep writing and also to share. At the beginning of this episode, I said 
the power of art it causes laughter and it can bring families together do not deny the word of the beauty that you carry right so i'm looking forward to your beautiful work your beautiful book I want to thank you, Poitolo, once again for coming on Bookish with Amos. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for staying with us through all three episodes. Thank you very much, Poitolo. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You can find Poitolo on Instagram and Twitter at Poitolo, P-O-E-T-O-L-U, that's how it's spelled. Poitolo, his books are available online on Amazon and Okada Books. And for bookshop browsers, you can find his books at Roven Heights Bookshop and other bookshops in Nigeria. Thank you once again, Poitolo, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasurable ride, you know, and I want to thank you again for giving your art and your heart to our world it's such a refreshing and beautiful sight thank you for defying the norms and uh, showing the world that unconventional can be celebrated as well especially as regards written poetry thank you uh, thanks for having me yeah well as for me this is where i sign out and you know you can always leave me feedbacks and comment on bookishwithamus at gmail.com or on instagram at bookishamus Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, do take good care. Yastrilli is...